Good day, and welcome to the Lossley Farmer Podcast. I'm Kevin. It is Tuesday, December 28th at 1 p.m. Um, and today, I would like to um, talk about the story of Lost Lake Farm. Yesterday was the story of my life uh, up to this point. And so today, the start, a little bit more detail about what our farm is and what we do uh, beyond what's in the 55-second trailer for this podcast. Um, and I am feeding pigs while I'm recording this. So if you're hearing weird sounds, that's what you're hearing. Um, so, um, let's start with the basics. Um, we are in Hamilton County, Iowa, which is usually considered either central or north central, depending what sort of regional breakdown you're looking at. Um, and so we are in the, what do you call it, prairie pot? No. Well, it is prairie pothole, but um, the Des Moines Lobe uh, geographic or geological area. I don't know. I'm not a, a geologist or soil scientist. Um, so generally, this area is um, fairly flat to lightly rolling um, with uh, fairly deep high organic matter um, high fertility soils. Um, Hamilton County is one of the most highly drained, highly engineered uh, places on earth um, because much of this area would have been um, seasonally wetland. Seasonally or year-round, depending on where it lies and, and so forth. Um, and where well, the reason we call ourselves Lost Lake Farm is because we are at the north end of what used to be called, well, it's still called that, but Lake Cairo. Um, it is no longer a lake, uh, except when there are major floods, then it can be temporarily a lake again. Uh, it was drained in the 1890s uh, in order to make farmland. Um, prior to that, it was for the white settlers, a popular recreational spot and um, fishing and hunting area because there were trees all around the lake and um, you'll have to excuse Dwayne. His mouth is watering and he's hungry. Dwayne is our boar. Um, and uh, prior to that, it was a, um, as I understand it, a seasonal hunting and fishing and gathering place for multiple uh, First Nations peoples. Um, I don't know off the top of my head which 
groups. Um, I think Meskwaki or Socket Fox may have been one. I think there is another. I think it was a, a common, but not, you know, of course, it, I, it wasn't a, a place where anybody, any group, I, as, as I understand it, lived uh, year-round. Um, but it was part of a, 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 a place where there were a lot of seasonal gatherings and, and really good hunting and fishing. Um, and um, so we have about 30 acres of that lake bottom soil that's called mucky, uh, blue earth mucky silt loam. Um, and it is extremely uh, deep uh, as you get further out in the lake. Uh, at, right around the, the shoreline, um, which is most of what we have is uh, there are some, we have some areas that are kind of like, um, I don't know, rocky outcroppings, sand, there's like barely any topsoil and then it's like a gravel, gravel from there. But the soil where there is lots of topsoil, it's really nice stuff. It looks almost gray in color when it's dry and it's really fine and if it's uncovered um and tilled over the winter it's um it it easily blows so it's susceptible to wind erosion um and it's a since it was a lake bottom it's it's very flat um but then that we have another 50 acres of our main farm what we call lost lake farm that is sort of uplands and shorelines of the lake. So part of that is remnant uh, uh, bur oak savanna, although it's not only bur oaks, there are walnuts and hawthorns and um, uh, what a, I'm blanking on tree names right now. Ashes, um, hackberry, that was the one I was trying to think of number of different trees, cedars, um, but kind of the defining thing as you look out at those areas, is the defining feature is the, the bur oaks, um, and I love them. Um, and then the other areas, probably some of them would have been bur oaks, some of them would have been marshy, some of them would have been more um, sort of upland, just grassland soils, um, and yeah, so that's the main farm, 80, 80 acres, basically, um, and uh, we also um, rent, well, sort of rent, uh, sort of a handshake agreement uh, with a uh, another uh, farmer and landowner near here who has organic crops and sheep um, and has some pastures that are unsuited to sheep grazing or at least not fenced for sheep grazing and they're hard to access. Um, so we graze those essentially for um, regular gifts of cheese. So um, basically free. Uh, so that's a pretty good deal for us. 
Uh, and so I don't, I don't actually know the, to the total acreage of that. Uh, maybe 20 or 30 acres. Um, I'll have to figure that out sometime. And so that has really helped. We've had that for two, two grazing seasons now. And, uh, that has really helped as our, um, herd has been expanding, um, to be able to, uh, I guess, take some grazing pressure off of the home farm in order to be able to, uh, I guess, stockpile a little bit more and graze more months of the year. And it has also helped increase with those um, increasing rest periods, um, increase the diversity and so forth. Um, getting into the weeds a little bit too much uh, right now. So at this point, we have, I believe, 16 milk cows. Uh, we have been as high as 24. Uh, we've averaged somewhere between 16 and 20 most most of the time. Um, and we have, geez, I should have counted this all up beforehand. I think we have um, 12 heifers, bred heifers, um, although I, I haven't, I haven't preg checked them yet, but bred heifers that will um, join the milking string next year, most of them in the second half of the summer. Uh, so that will be a significant increase, although there are a few cows that may or may not end up having to leave the herd before then. Um, depending on their fertility and their milk quality and uh, if they have any other health issues. Um, and we have two retired cows um, that uh, we keep around because, I don't know, I guess we're not good business people. Um, so Ingrid and Gunhild were both in the original group of uh, bottle calves that we got and um, I guess we felt like they deserved to live out their natural lives um, but they each had uh, their own issues um, that caused them to need to go into retirement. Um, Ingrid, it was a while ago, she's been retired for a while. Um, she had um, several um, very bad cases of mastitis where she got very sick um, and she was down to two quarters. Uh, Gunhild, um, she was milking until about, I don't know, a month ago. And um, she just was starting to um, have uh, high somatic cell counts and some fertility issues and her production, she would start out really high, but her production would, would taper off very quickly in her lactation. Um, and uh, I guess we still have several other, other coal cows that have not been sold or slaughtered yet. So uh, many, not all, but um, Many of our coal cows, we we uh, 
keep around longer, um, sort of not not pregnant and not not pregnant, not milking, um, and give them a chance to. Well, I guess have a little bit of a vacation period at the end of their life, but also fatten up a little bit more, and um, then we market them as as uh, mature beef. And uh, we have a number of customers that seem to like that. Um, so that is one market stream. Uh, we were raising a couple steers for beef um, every year. We have the last two steers that will go to the locker uh, next spring or early summer. And we are now selling all the bull calves right away. Um, well, at about a week old um, to locally to another friend who raise, raises them up and then markets them as beef or uh, to um, Renee's grandparents who do the same. Um, so that's another income stream, not significant. Um, and then we have two sows and a boar uh, that um, get, that we have mainly to um, consume the whey. Uh, from cheese making, um, but, or, well, and yeah, so the two sows then produce litters that then we raise way-fed pork. Uh, so that's another fairly significant in income stream, but then the biggest income stream is from turning all the milk we, we produce um, into cheese on farm. So we make several different types of cheese. Um, so the main ones are Iowa Alpine and Emmentaler and um, Cheddar, Camembert, Burnt Oak, which is a an ashed Camembert, uh, Feta, Lost Lake Blue, which is a softer um, blue, softer, mild, fairly mild blue. And maybe that's it to think about it. Oh, we make fresh mozzarella in tomato season. Used to make it year round, but we don't anymore because it uh, messes with my sleep schedule. Um, so cheese sales are our main uh, main income, main revenue for the farm. And uh, we sell mostly direct to customer. Uh, the breakdown has been um, changing the last couple of years with the pandemic, but um, it's something like 50% or more at farmer's markets. We sell in Ames and Des Moines, and we have sold at other markets in the past. Um, and we have an online store that we operate seasonally so that we don't have to worry about keeping cheese cool when it's warm outside. 
um, and we use a regional shipper, so we only ship to, um, well, most of the Midwest, but not all Midwest states, unfortunately. But uh, that is how it works for us for now. Um, and yeah, so personnel, it's mainly uh, myself. I work full-time on the farm and making cheese. Um, and I do some of the marketing as in, well, I guess I do one of the farmer's markets, I guess is what I should specify, uh, in the summer. And, uh, then my wife who has a full-time off-farm job and, um, she, I don't, I don't know how many hours she puts in on the business, but uh, it's quite a bit. I would, I would guess it probably averages 20 hours a week, 10 to 20 hours a week. Um, so sometimes she milks, sometimes she does, you know, pig feeding and other farm stuff helps me with things where we need two people to herd cows or something like that. And, um, but she does all the website stuff, all the online sales. Um, and, um, she does about 99% of the cheese packaging, cutting and packaging. I used to do more, but um, yeah, at this point, she does most of that. Uh, right now, we have one part-time employee who does some cleaning in the cheesery. Um, we normally, well, we I guess we are looking, but we haven't actually actively advertised for a milker so normally we have um what we'd like to have is somebody you know whether it's the same person or not who um is milking on days that i make cheese and when i go to the farmer's market um and somebody who does uh deep clean cleans the vat all you know washes up scrubs all the molds cleans all the floors all that stuff um after every cheese batch so that's usually about twice a week. Um, so yeah, so that adds up to, you know, somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 hours a week, part-time hired labor. Most of the time though, right now we have somebody putting in about three hours a week. Uh, so I'm doing, well, we are doing more than usual uh, ourselves as far as the, the routine tasks. Uh, that is most of it. Well, I guess I'll give a little bit of an overview of our practices. So we are basically organic, but we are not certified. Um, mostly because we don't need to be, but there are a few specific parts of organic certification that um, we don't feel quite confident in our uh, ability to follow or maybe don't agree with. Uh, completely. Um, so one of those occasionally, maybe a couple times a year, we um, have a need to treat with antibiotics. Um, and uh, in most of those cases, it is a pretty dire situation where there is no great organic alternative that I am aware of. Um, and uh, so if we were certified organic, those animals would then have to leave the farm. Um, 
And the the other one is I in the last year or two I have used some hormones to help with um, cows that are having fertility issues. So not the um, not the ones that help with milk production or anything like that. It basically is a um, you know the the hormones that they have in their body normally to when they're cycling their estrus cycle um, when they're not, they're not showing heats or they have cysts or something isn't working right that we will do this to to synchronize their heat and um, help to get them bred because otherwise uh, we that animal would probably end up having to get cold um, and but though that is not allowed in organic production so that's not a regular practice for every cow like in uh, um let's see in 2021 maybe done it three times um and i've bred like 35 animals so uh so i guess 10 percent, less than 10 percent excuse me um those are the main ones i guess you know the buffers along the edges you know just a lot of things and the paperwork takes a lot of time and um as far as the way we market we don't think that organic certification would help us um so we uh then other practices we we um do follow or i guess we should say i should say we're kind of inspired and loosely follow sometimes some assets and some aspects of biodynamic farming um and i'm going to i would like to do more in the future of biodynamics and i will talk have i, I plan to do some episodes in the future talking about what biodynamics is my understanding of biodynamics why i like to follow those concepts and so forth um and we have the whole 80 acres is at this point has for the last three or four years i can't remember exactly um we haven't done any tillage so and it's all been in perennials so we are essentially a grass farm that are t turning the grass from this farm into milk and beef um i can't really say that about the pork i mean i guess the way but we are buying feed for the pigs uh we have experimented this year with some um feeding some whole oats that we were soaking in apple cider vinegar and water um and some we were experimenting with molasses and i'm still kind of working on my nutritional stuff to figure out if we want to do that again which would mean that we're not 100% grass fed, um, but uh, we would, it's a very small percentage. And, um, it, you know, we never had any kind of grass fed certification. I think it's probably a small proportion of our customers that really care about that. I, and we're still getting nutritionally in the, in the milk and the cheese, most of the benefits because it's such a small pr proportion and ecologically we're still getting all the benefits um, and we're buying the oats from a local farmer friend 
So um, that's most of the practices. Oh, I guess uh, an important thing, uh, you know, I mentioned that the bull calves, and that's just starting this year, um, all the bull calves are getting sold at a week old. Um, but all the heifer calves get raised on the cow. So they get to nurse their mother until they're six months old, and then they get weaned. Um, and they don't get any grain either, so they're not in calf pens or anything like that. Um, so that's the basics of, a little bit more than the basics of what we do here at Lost Lake Farm. And I'm sure if you follow along, you'll find out more along the way. So thank you very much. I'm sure this got longer than I wanted once again.